Hello and welcome to the Brotherhood Without Manners, a Game of Thrones podcast. I'm Ryan McBride and this time I'm uh, I'm going to be having a chat about the first two episodes of season seven. Uh, big apologies to those of you who are waiting for the first uh, two pre or reviews of the first two episodes. Uh, we've been really busy lately and uh, we've got a couple of things coming up in the pipeline and also, also... If you want to let us know about your frustrations, about us not posting enough often, uh, you can let us know at Brotherhood Pod on Twitter, and uh, you can just let us know on Facebook as well, at Brotherhood Without Manners Podcast. Uh, okay, so in the first two episodes of Season 7, we've actually had a lot of action. Uh, not enough by some people's uh, standards, but I think we've uh, we've set it up very nicely for things to come, and also... We've already seen House Frey be destroyed in the very first scene of the very first episode of season seven, and people are still saying, "Oh, that's not enough." Come on, how much more are you expecting? Uh, oh, uh, I just want to start off uh, with the most recent scene, most recent action. Also, if 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 you haven't seen any of the episodes, if you're not up to date with Game of Thrones season seven, uh, you should stop now and uh, just get watching those episodes, you can find them. I'm going to start with one of the most recent scenes where uh, Yara Greyjoy and Hilaria Sand and her daughter have been captured and uh, the original gangsta Iron Fleet was destroyed by Euron's new toys and Cersei is set to get herself a new present uh, in the form of hostages, obviously. Uh, Euron wasn't long um, following up on his promises to get his new queen uh, a gift. Uh, and I'm so glad that Euron has finally arrived in full force. I mean, he's gone from, like, a Riddler-type character to the Joker in this episode. Uh, he's now finally a feared character rather than, like, a kind of clownish, oh, I'm so bad, look at how bad I am, lol, into something more seriously. And now, uh, but I think he's done it in a way... That's different to anything we've seen in Game of Thrones before, because he's established himself as an evil character in a way that kind of endears himself to the fans uh, by killing off the Sand Snakes, which a lot of people absolutely hated. Uh, Just in the show, I'm sure a lot of people who hated them in the show absolutely loved them in the books. That's for another day. But that's just a great way to endear him to the audience. And he's like a deliciously evil character now like Stewie Griffin or like Magneto in X-Men uh, and this, looking at this in the in the bigger scheme of things I've heard it said that Euron could be the the Valonqar from Cersei's prophecy the little brother now the prophecy said actually just a little brother uh, and not necessarily her younger brother uh, and Euron is uh, Balon Greyjoy's younger brother too, so that could signal uh, that could signal his future if Jamie doesn't step up to the plate. Uh, so what now will Cersei do to the person who killed her innocent daughter Marcella, uh, Alaria Sand? I mean, she blew up a sept to deal with her enemies before, and that was you know she didn't even know that they were responsible for killing Joffrey, uh, in part at least. Now, what I think will happen, I think Cersei will kill Alaria Sand, but her daughter, her only surviving daughter, Tyene, will survive because of Bronn's new obsession with bad pussy. 
although it would be more like Cersei to kill Ilaria's daughter in a tit for tat and we're like oh you did this to me look what I can do to you but I think Bronn will manage to sneak her out somehow uh, and that could be how Bronn turns to the right side of the, the fight he could uh, deliver her to Tyrion once more I don't know it would be a nice reunion Theon is in danger of slipping into the, the, the socks of Reek again after he jumped off the side of the boat. I heard it said after the episode that uh, it takes more than a few pep talks to get rid of some serious Ramsey brand PTSD. And I have to agree. And it, you know, I can't actually blame him for jumping off the side of the boat. I just actually, as, as bad as it sounds, I laughed out loud when I saw him jump off. But... It was great acting by Alfie Allen, how he was able to just twitch into Reek just at the the at the drop of a hat, you know, or at the lift of a knife to his sister's door. Um, anyway, moving on out of there, uh, Sansa and John are at loggerheads once again. Uh, John wasn't sure about going to Dragonstone and shared his doubts with Sansa after Daenerys invited him over and to bend the knee. Actually, I think Tyrion might have left that out of the note. Uh, Sansa agreed to go in there would be a bad idea even though Tyrion's quite a good guy but when Sam's letter arrived from Old Town about the mountain of Dragonglass that was uh, in Dragonstone John seemed to use his kingly veto to go over Sansa's head in this one uh, definitely I think John should have given his sister a little heads up about making such a big decision to head south um, but I guess he already knew that Sansa was going to give him a no vote anyway but I think it couldn't have harmed him to to at least tell her before the meeting anyway. Just to say, alright, uh, even if you say no, I'm going to say yes, whatever. Um, John dealt with the protest in Northmen in quite a good way, actually. Um, he was like, listen, don't let the title you gave me get in the way of my job. I think that was a good way of letting him know that being king can actually limit what you can do as well as empower you for other things. I think it's kind of. I don't think John isn't meant to be king in in some ways, because it's kind of affecting his freedom. I like he was he was already constrained as a member of the Night's Watch as well, and he didn't really he didn't really like that either. Um. Anyway, Sansa. I still think Sansa was wrong to speak up in public against John, especially after they had their talk about second guessing his authority in front of the other lords of the North. And I think her sudden silence after he named her the ruler of the north when he was gone, as well as her glance at Littlefinger, made me think uh, she gave a little bit of her ulterior motives away. I mean, I think she has... I think that too much of Cersei has wormed its way into her head. And as everyone knows, Cersei thinks she's a lot smarter than she actually is. And Sansa, she's very confident that she has Littlefinger in her pocket. And Littlefinger is the master of making other people think that they are in power, while actually holding all the cards himself. So I'm I'm, I'm a bit worried for Sansa right now because now she's got her only friend gone, John. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed with uh, ter- uh, with Littlefinger's man-to-man with John and the crypts under Winterfell because I expected a big secret about his parentage to come out, but I think. John letting the extent of his mistrust of Littlefinger get out at this point was quite a bad move because he's like, listen, I'm going to kill you if you touch her. Oh, and by the way, don't do anything while I'm gone. Uh, I just think 
little fingers, quick tempers, slow minds, comments is more relevant now than it ever was. Uh, Littlefinger as well he's well placed for a coup now if he can somehow prove that John isn't who he claims to be or if he manages to whisper Sansa into a hostile takeover of John's army or his own army I suppose but also when Bran comes home he would want to tell some stories before others I mean he would want to tell the stories of Littlefinger's treachery before he even thinks of dropping the John parentage news like, if Sansa knew the extent of his treachery, like fingering Turin for the attempted assassination on Bran, which led Catelyn to arresting uh, Turin, which led to Ned Stark being arrested and eventually led to him being beheaded, uh, not to mention, you know, the framing of Joffrey's murder on Tyrion and Sansa by spiriting her away under suspicious circumstances and paying off Dantos and killing Dantos. And plus, also, if the Knights of the Vale knew that he pushed Lysa Arryn through the moon door, I don't think that uh, Sir Royce would hesitate at all to order a trial by combat. Uh, but I just think overall John should watch his back in Winterfell when he comes back and Sansa needs to keep her guard up because at this stage she only has Brienne to guide her. Actually like Catelyn once had. Um, so how will John and Davos behave in Dragonstone when they actually get that far? Uh, I actually, I'm not sure if they'll appear in the next episode because they're going to be doing a lot of traveling. But then again, they can just use their um, secret device for traveling through Westeros very quickly. Um, who knows? But I think if if they do appear, I think they'll come across either the Brotherhood or Arya. But I also think that the Brotherhood and Arya will cross paths before that would happen. I think we need to see some setup for the Hound going north of the Wall, and I think a brief a brief meeting with the with Jon Snow could sow the seeds. He could be like, "Listen, we need help up there," and they're like, "Oh well, Lord of Light, yes, lad, we know what you're what you're like." Uh, plus, I think having the Brotherhood in Winterfell can't do Sansa any harm, especially if Arya is tagging along with them. Um, and also I think it would be a nice little move for Arya to find her humanity again by seeing how the Hound is trans- transformed into her <laughs> and she's transformed to him she might find her way again uh, Davos and Melisandre at Dragonstone will be a major sticking point that's another reunion that uh, I guess could be a bit awkward uh, Melisandre conveniently left out and her conversation to Daenerys that she burnt Shireen at the stake but in a clever move she also withheld the news that she brought Jon Snow back to life so I think that could soften the blow of her child murder um, I kind of fear that Daenerys could heed Elena Tyrell's advice about acting like a dragon and she could run out of patience fast with Jon if he doesn't bend the knee straight away I just I just think that's a bit of an unreasonable demand. I saw a tweet actually that um, half the trouble of Game of Thrones could have been avoided if it wasn't if it wasn't for bending the knee, and I actually I just think that's so accurate. But I don't know. I don't. I think John. I don't think John's as proud as Rob, and Sansa's words are going to be loud in his mind. Like, don't repeat the mistakes of your your family. But I think he's wary of selling out his fellow Northmen at the same time. So I don't think he'll bend the knee, at least not straight away. I think he'll let his people have a say. Um, 
if Daenerys decides to punish him with fire because she's turning into a right nutcase, John might not burn. If if the dragons attack him, he might not burn because of his Targaryen roots, and that could be a massive development. Because then Daenerys will see it with her own eyes, and Bran will be able to back it up by saying, "Oh yeah, I saw that through the tree." Blah blah blah. Uh, and it, you know what? The dragons might not even attack him in the first place because of it. Um, but I think it'll be it would take a big argument for Daenerys to try something like that on Jon, or say like, "Oh, you're dead. Uh, prove it." I think everyone's and back to Melisandre, I think everyone's suspicion of her, like from Tyrion, from Varys, from Davos, even from Jon, that's only gonna serve to strengthen Daenerys's really annoying resolve to dissolve, to defy their advice because I don't know, I don't think I think Daenerys is having a bit of doubts in her her um advisors at the moment and I think having a a voice on the other side of things she might think she needs that because she isn't familiar with all the mistakes that uh, the Lord of Light has made, or some of the grim decisions. But anyway, that's for down the road. They're on the same side for now. But uh, and also now that the Iron Fleet have been burnt down and captives have been taken, Daenerys will be mistrustful of Tyrion's sage advice anyway. And um, but I feel like she'll need friends too. So I think she'll have. A bit of a brittle friendship with John, if any. Uh, another worry I have is Grey Worm and Missandei. They've really set themselves up for some sort of tragedy. I mean, no sex scene goes unpunished in Game of Thrones. Uh, I hope that he doesn't end up dying from Randall Tarley's rebellion. But I think Highgarden is more likely to be a target of their forces than Castle Rock. I mean, if some of them die, it'll be later in the tale when Danny tries to take back Highgarden. But I think that's when either Grey Worm or Missandei will perish. I'm just looking forward to seeing some more Citadel action with Sam, to be honest. Uh, a lot of people are saying this is a bad storyline, but I'm actually quite loving it. It's really helping tie together some of the stories that Game of Thrones hasn't seen connected before. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of casual viewers actually didn't know that Jorah Mormont was J.R. Mormont's son. Uh, Jorah Mormont, the, the former head of the Night's Watch, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, rather. And... I just feel like that'll that'll help some of the casual viewers be like, oh yeah, that's a nice little development. And if Jorah isn't cured by Sam's experimental treatments, like he's gotten this far, we know his symptoms will be at least delayed for enough time for him to do something important. What's that going to be? I don't know. But maybe Sam will arm him with the Charlie Valerian steel sword. I can't remember the name right now. But back to Sam, though, I'm really looking forward to some more Citadel secrets to accelerate that storyline. Like the history of the Lannister family book. I mean, what could that mean for the rest of the story? I don't know. But I feel like it's going to be really important. I don't really care much if Sam Tarly is the narrator or not. I mean, I know a lot of people are talking about this and it's going like, oh, it's going to be just like Lord of the Rings and all this. Like, like I don't really care who's narrating the story or, or, or if he's like oh Song of Ice and Fire is going to be the name I think it could actually be Archmaster Ebrus uh, the character played by Jim Broadbent because he's the one that's actually writing the book I think Sam will have to leave the Citadel at some point to raise his family and um, Ebrus 
I feel like he'll eventually learn something from Sam. He's going to take something from him on board at the end of the day. Anyway, more sick edits to make me laugh and heave at the same time will do just fine in the meantime. Um, I can't really think of anyone else. Uh, Gendry could be back soon. I hope that happens. Because uh, I need maybe that's what the the Lannister history book will do. Uh, it'll show Gendry's Gendry Gendry. What's the pronunciation of that? Actually, if you could let us know there at Brotherhood Pod on Twitter, uh, I should set up a poll. Actually, maybe I'll do that. Oh, Torment and the Wildlings. Uh, they've been sent out to Eastwatch by the Sea. And the Hound has uh, pretty much had it, seen a vision in the flames from the Lord of Light that uh, the White Walkers are going to cross there. And a lot of people are speculating that they could, they could go over with ice boats or they could freeze the water or stuff like that. I'm kind of worried about the Wildlings because I think they're going to get a sh- bad deal here. I'm going to draw the short straw and Tormund pretty much telegraphed that straight away. He was like, oh, so we're going to be the Night's Watch after the Night's Watch is trying to kill us all that time. Now we're going to be the first line of defense. Thanks. Um, so that could grind up against John later. That could be like uh, a source of everyone to pick later. Um, and as well, the training of children and girls and a woman could be uh, a bit of a, a bone of contention too later on in the story. But again, I think that's that could happen in the next episode, but I'm not sure. Uh, Sansa's going to have to deal with a lot of pressure. I think a lot of lords actually could try and take advantage of Sansa now that they see she's weaker, or maybe they think she is more on their side. She's more likely to bend to their whims than Jon is. I think Jon's more stubborn. Jon's more like a Stark whereas uh, Sans is more uh, eager to, uh, I don't know, appease people to get them on the right side of her now that she's trying to consolidate power when John's gone. But then again, this is all just speculation. None of this might happen. All of it could happen. Uh, but I don't think all of it's going to happen for some reason. <laughs> um, anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, also... We're going to be broadcasting a live show from the Bowery Bar in Rathmines on Monday night. Uh, there's going to be a Game of Thrones screening that night, and we're going to just give our immediate take afterwards. Just uh, just our, our, our thoughts fresh out of the episode. And uh, it's going to be me and Leandro Pondock, uh, who you might remember from a couple of episodes ago. Um, thanks very much to the, the folks over at the Barry for letting us uh, podcast there and I hope it's going to go well and I hope you listen in uh, thanks for listening I've been Ryan McBride follow us at Brotherhood Pod uh, or look at us on Tumblr or Facebook or share us or like us or review us on Apple Podcasts as well that'll help if you like this podcast it might help other people who might like it to, to find us uh, cheers goodbye